The old paradigm is not working anymore. If we want to survive, we need a new paradigm how we work and live our lives. If business organizations want to survive, they need to shift their approach to human resources, employment and leadership altogether. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Energy Paradigm Show. Too many people are suffering. Too many people medicate to get through a normal day. Too many people live a life of quiet desperation instead of shining their light. That's where the energy paradigm comes in. A radical shift in mindset that takes us from the impersonal to the personal. From treating us like machines to treating us like human beings. We need a new form of human sustainability. Where organizations actually take care of their most important asset. You. And where you truly lead your life. Each episode, we have a fascinating discussion with an outstanding person, a game changer, about what we can do to change the paradigm of how we work, do business and lead our lives. We talk about their struggles, what made them become a game changer and how they carry their message into the world. And we learn what ultimately drives those outstanding individuals to take a stand, to inspire, to build a legacy and leave their mark for humanity. This show has been created because we believe the world will be a better place when we start treating people like human beings. We believe that everyone has talent and purpose and deserves a chance to shine, to matter, to make a difference. That's the energy paradigm. Can you envision a life you want to subscribe to? Enough dreaming. Deep down inside, there is a game changer in you. It's time to wake up and take action. In this episode, I chat with Devi Records, a teacher, a counselor, and a psychotherapist who is teaching leaders mindfulness by seeking the conversation under the conversation. Adapting her approach to family counseling, Devi is helping organizations, leaders, and teams get their inner game on. We discuss how consciousness and mindfulness can help leaders, why you should listen to your body when you get upset, fearful, or anxious, And lastly, how counseling companies doesn't differ much from counseling a marriage. Sharing her powerful insight, Devi is a call to action that we need to get our inner game on if we want to master our outer game. And here's Devi. Welcome to the show, Devi. Thank you so much, Victor. I'm delighted to be here. It's an honor to have you on our show. Thank you. Let's start from the beginning, Devi. I understand you're a counselor. What prompted you to enter this field? When I was young, there were only really four tracks for women. You could be a, a social worker, a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. And those were the only things that you were encouraged to do. For me, I was very lucky in that I was passionate about teaching. And uh, in, in school, in a lot of ways, just really formed me. 
the whole academics. So of course I went into teaching and I got my first job and I found that as I was going along, I would stay after school from like three o'clock till six o'clock correcting papers and doing planning. And kids would come in to talk to me. Once word got out that Ms. Record stays after school, this is high school, I started getting kids coming in to talk. And if someone in my class wasn't doing well, I pulled them out. And so the kids started telling me, both the ones that started not doing well in my class and also kids that just needed to talk, just why they weren't doing in school, well in school. And it was a lot that the family was in chaos. You know, dad lost his job, mom's drinking again, or dad's depressed, or we're all in different rooms watching TV and nobody talks to each other. There was so much isolation and loneliness and just unhappiness there that I found that I really wanted to help those kids. And I didn't have any skills. I didn't know what to do there. So I decided after four years that I wanted to go into counseling. And so I stopped teaching and went back and got another master's degree in counseling, counseling psychology, actually. I know that today you're also working with entrepreneurs and with, with organizations. So my first love was families, and that's what I was originally trained in. Um, and then as my training increased and I, you know, I had a private practice, I noticed that what I was really interested in was what I call the conversation under the conversation. I like that. The real inner work. What I ended up doing a lot was, you know, the kids would come in, they would have problems, but I realized they weren't the one that had the problems. It was the parents. So I did a lot of marriage counseling. And that's when I really began to see that there's another conversation under the conversation that the, that the adults actually didn't know how to get to. They didn't know what to, they didn't know why they were so upset with each other or why small things got blown up into huge things. What was really going on? We could all feel that conversation, but there wasn't a lot of training out there how to access it, how to really make contact. And so if you give me a problem, I'm going to head for the, the articles and the books that have been written. And so I couldn't find really much anything on how to how to get into that conversation. And then around well, in the late 70s, I met a man named Ron Kurtz. And Ron was a genius at accessing that conversation. And we created a methodology to get you down into the conversation, under the conversation, and to see what needs to be healed and to help you heal it. And so that's how I became just absolutely passionate about this inner game. I love that. And I love the term inner game. Yeah. I know that today you're also working with entrepreneurs and with, with organizations. Do you find this conversation under the conversation also in business and in organizations? Absolutely. And business people, business women especially, as they started getting into higher and higher levels of management, really confused about what was going on culturally in the business environment, what different things meant, and what was also coming up inside of them. We were starting to look at what were their inner game beliefs, you know, how much confidence that they really have. And this is where the split happens. Your conscious mind might say, I'm absolutely confident that I can do this. Your below conscious mind might have doubts. Yeah. That's what we've got. 80% of all of your decisions that you think you're making with your conscious mind, 80% of that is influenced by the below conscious mind. Only 20% of your decisions are conscious mind decisions. 
I personally observe that quite often in organizations that it is our own beliefs about ourselves. They can keep us back. They can make us small. They can make us stay insignificant. Absolutely. There's this not enoughness. Can you talk to that? Yeah. And, you know, men and women get different programming messages about that. Um, that's just how our culture works. And we're in such a huge transition. We've been in transition since the 60s. If you look at women's history, that's it's been a sl slow march towards e uh, equal status as human beings. And that's just how society is. You know, I don't have any judgments about it. That's just where we are. But the programming is different. And I think you as a European have probably noticed that the programming that men get here, which is, I think, unfortunate for them, is a lot of hyper-masculinity. Um, you know, the superhero, the, all the guns and the violence and the lack of vulnerability. So men are really trained in a whole different way. And women are trained, in, you know, to defer oftentimes to to not have as big a dreams, to not have as much confidence in themselves. Or if they get into business, they're going to have to learn how to be more masculine because that's what's going to work. So that's very confusing for women right now. And for men, men would, you know, I know so many conscious CEOs who would really like to empower women more. They genuinely consciously want to, I have no doubt about that. And they genuinely below conscious mind have a different opinion. That's what I call a cultural derailleur for men. And it's very hard. It comes out in, in when women present, it comes out with men challenging them more than they would challenge men comes out with men interrupting. Uh, it comes out with men um, asking questions to, to women to justify their position, all of those kinds of things that they don't actually do with other men. How can organizations or maybe even our society tackle those cultural derailers and maybe fix them? A lot of it's education. You have to know what you're needing to change before you can change it. And this is where, you know, when I say below conscious mind, it really is below conscious mind. We're not aware of it. So when men start becoming aware of the kind of behaviors they're engaging with that are actually disempowering, they have a they can bring it up to a choice point. That's the clear thing. Like in mindfulness, which is the state of consciousness I work in, I have men, you know, when they start going into their cultural derailers, actually stop and feel what's going on in their bodies what kind of feelings are there, what kind of thoughts are there, what kind of memories are there, what's actually going on for them. Once they begin to understand like, oh, I get it. I always felt overpowered as a child by my mother. So I'm not going to have that happen again. That's a classic example. And you know, it's like retraining and getting that we're in the present now, we're not in the past. And so in the present with Vicky, who's standing in front of me, I can just calm down a little bit and listen to what Vicky has to say before I jump in and try to instruct her or question her or undermine her. Yes. What's your experience? Let me just call on your wisdom. <laughs> um, you know what? I've actually mentioned that in one of our podcasts before. I have been called overly sensitive oh, wow. by men who had obviously a difficulty dealing with the female side that I definitely have in me. This is the person that understands. This is the person that listens. This is the person that is mindful how other people feel. So that's the person that is probably more connected to my feelings than my masculine side, who, who wants to be strong and dominant. And I have this constant dialogue in myself. And I've learned to bring out 
each part as needed. That is really brilliant. And when I was training in Europe, um, I trained a lot in Germany, I trained a lot in England, and I trained a lot in the United States. And the difference was phenomenal. In, in Germany especially, when I would train, when I would teach something, the men and women would get to gr into groups and they were very respectful of listening at, to me and then listening to each other. They really wanted to understand something very thoroughly before they tried it, okay? The United States is almost exactly the opposite. <laughs> you know? It's like 10 minutes, okay, I got it, enough talking, let's go do it, you know? And it, it, so it would actually, in some funny kind of way, take longer for the Americans to learn the process than the Germans. That is something that I've observed myself. People here can really jump into it and say, okay, I own this. It, it, it doesn't matter if I don't get it totally right. At least I'm doing it. Whereas in, in Europe, especially in, 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 the, in Germany or the Germanic areas, people put a lot and lot and lot and lot of thoughts and delibera deliberations into something before they actually launch. That's what I found too. And, you know, there's an upside and a downside. There's the fake it till you make it Americanism, which uh, can, you know, sometimes really works well. People can fake it till they make it and they, and they end up being very successful. The overinflated ego, the self-promoter, how do you deal with these people? Well, a lot of times one-on-one, -on -one, because if someone is coming into my office, uh, you know, or I'm doing a derailleur session on the phone, a lot of that's going to come right down. People on a one-to-one -one basis, it's harder to inflate. And if they do, I want to study that. You see, that's what what all of this inner game is. It's like, let's get fascinated. You learn to inflate up in order to take charge. Let's see how you do that. So I'm going to take them into a state of consciousness where they're neutrally and non-judgmentally observing. That's the key. No judgment. We're just fascinated. I'm fascinated by how we do things. I'll have somebody, if it's a man, I'll have him inflate up, you know, think of a memory where he really could tell he was inflated up and I have him inflate up. What happens in your body? How does your body inflate up? It's going to be a lot of times in the chest. Okay. What kind of thinking are you doing? I have to be the best. I can't, you know, it's almost a battle sometimes. And what kind of emotions are there? Okay. What's it feel like to you to be in that space? Exaggerate it up. Now feel it. What, What happens? Well, I feel I feel disconnected from my ground. I feel disconnected from you right now. I feel in myself, but I feel isolated. That's just one man that I worked with. All right, come down a little bit till you can find the place where you and I start connecting. Bring your body down. All right, what kind of thinking has to shift? What do you have to do differently? And then I might say a sentence I might say a sentence to see what actually occurs. Because in mindfulness, we throw a, a positive statement in there to elicit more response. So I might say to this man, you're perfectly safe right now. What a relief. Yes. What a relief. And sometimes it's like, what? <laughs> you smoked something. Now, let's talk about the opposite. How do you encourage those who are really good, who have a lot of talent, but they don't dare to contribute or to step forward or to be seen? Yeah, that's also something what all we're going to do is study that. And so I'll start with, all right, you have this fabulous idea. I want you to imagine right now going into the room with your team or your boss present whatever it is. 
Now, I want you just to imagine that and now study what you're actually experiencing, what happens to your body. My body begins to tighten up, my stomach begins to tighten up. What happens emotionally? What edges of feelings are there? Okay, I'm getting really scared. Okay, what is, what's your thinking? I'm going to be called stupid. They're going to ignore me. They're not going to respect me. I'm going to be shut down. I'm going to be humiliated. Okay, great. Take a breath. Now, let's just take that apart. So I want you to imagine one person that you don't think is going to humiliate you. Who's that person? Jenny. Okay, focus on Jenny. All right, now I want you to imagine that you're just in a room with Jenny and you're going to tell her your idea. What happens to your body? It begins to to relax I begin to get calmer I'll take him through that then I'll go through the same thing okay who's the person you're most afraid of is going to humiliate you Kevin the president okay and we just kind of take it apart and then we're going to do strategies so that he can practice keeping his body in a in an expanded place what does he have to say to himself and what does Kevin represent to him in his inner consciousness Does that include uh, some physical action or maybe certain postures that, that uh, you encourage people to take so they feel in charge or in power? It can. You know, we'll, we'll work with what's your expanded state, uh, state, what's your contracted state. All right, what's the middle? What state can you move in and out of? And sometimes I'll teach people uh, little trauma releases, like there's little things you can do with your feet and your hands and breathing, especially there's the, you know, the, the classic four, seven, eight breath, which is four breaths in, hold seven, exhale eight. You can do that surreptitiously. That switches your body from um, sympathetic to parasympathetic. So you begin to, you know, once what you're trying to do is manage your anxiety and not be hijacked by the past, by your past, you know, traumas, your past failures. You're trying to stay in the present. So oftentimes I'll have people hold a posture that they're comfortable in and then just go a tiny bit more, okay? Yeah. If they go too far, it ends up having a kickback effect. They don't feel real. You already mentioned teamwork and teams before. Yeah. It's so important nowadays for organizations, but often teams tend to grind to a halt because of different viewpoints, different belief systems. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I can speak to that in the, in the terms of, you know, what what'll happen as a team works. First of all, there's people people tend to not understand that you need a variety of viewpoints on the team for it to really knock it out of the park. Thank you. Yeah really do if you've got all people that we what we call future all future oriented people and not enough people who are can say let's take that idea take it apart and figure out how to do it in the present you know and future people tend to be bored with that <laughs> very much so <laughs> yes and then you have people who are more past focused like what's your evidence and like you know how how do we know how that's going to work and so if they get too stuck in their own particular strength and those strengths aren't valued, then the team kind of grinds to a halt or they don't have good communication skills. They don't know how to talk through something. Like when I'm working with a marriage couple, I have tons of experience with that. If you don't know how to work through a, a process in your marriage, that particular topic goes off the table. And pretty soon that topic goes off the table. And pretty soon that topic goes off the table. And pretty soon you're talking about the weather all the passion in your marriage just dies and the divorce rate goes up well the same thing happens in companies it's like instead of a company team rocking it 
the way they could, it's like, you know, are you talking about the future again? We haven't figured this out. Or it's like, oh, you know, I'm tired of the, the way that you interrupt constantly and you don't, you know, there's people grade on each other and they don't know how to listen, respect and work through issues. Now, you must face this all the time. Absolutely. It's the perfect introduction to my next question, which is how can somebody like me cope with and handle aggression in the workplace? Yeah, aggression has to be handled delicately. First of all, I'd stop the meeting. So let's stop a moment. Can we stop a moment? Uh, Kevin, I notice you're breathing quickly and I notice things are really, you know, really passionate for you right now. Can we just look at what's going on when that happens? Jenny, what happens when Kevin gets into that space? I start closing down. You have to train them how to do that. But once they start actually talking about the conversation under the conversation, Kevin, when you do that, I notice my breathing stops. I back up and I'm and I go silent. I can't talk at that point. You know, and Kevin goes, well, I feel like if I don't do that, nobody listens to me. All right, then we're starting to get under the conversation. And okay, well, how do we know? How do you know you're being listened to? And a lot of people mix that up to, I'm being listened to when you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> That's different. I'm being listened to when you look at me, when you put your iPhone down, when you're nodding, when I get feedback. So I'd want to find out what the dynamics are. Can we get underneath the conversation to find out what's really going on? And then what do we need to change to begin to change those dynamics in a way that works for all of us? Is that making sense to you? What I'm hearing is it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one work and reflecting back to the person. It's almost holding up a mirror. Yes. How do you feel right now? What's going on within you? Um, and then find ways how to adjust it. Yes. Yeah, how to bring the person out of the past into the present. Because when people, when people escalate into a stress response, which is you know, fight, flight, or freeze, And he's in a stress response. He's in his fight response. So he's in a he's in an accelerated, activated body uh, body sensations. His amygdala has hijacked his thinking processes and his feeling processes. So he's not in the present anymore. You have to bring him back. Let's stop him. Let's all take a breath. Okay, what just happened? What about people who feel completely stuck in their employment or in their life? Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? So first thing I want to know is, is this a pattern? Does this person feel that stuckness is something they always get to? If it's familiar and repetitive, then we're talking about an unconscious process. Okay. If it's no, this is the first time I've, I've experienced it, but I'm feeling like this is also the first time I've been really secure in my job and I'm scared. Okay. That's another process you can work with or if it's a woman who you know I have one woman I've worked with for a long time she cannot break the glass ceiling in her company they have never promoted a woman above her you know into those positions above her and she is she's frustrated and she feels trapped because this in this particular industry women do not get promoted through into the the highest levels of power they just don't that hasn't happened yet so i'm working with her on okay recognize that you're dealing with a bigger issue than just you and so you don't personalize it and yes. then um you've got to look at how long you're willing to wait how long you're willing to 
um, to stay in this position, who you can get as allies, who you need to confront, but confront in a way that is not going to get you labeled. And when is it time for you to leave? When have you done enough and said, okay, that's enough for me? We live in a society that glorifies strong people, where, where men especially have to be not vulnerable. Given that glorification of the strong, what's your take on weak leaders who evade confrontation, who do not provide direction, who are afraid of making decisions, or maybe who constantly second-guess everything? When you've got a leader who is that conflicted, then that's going to reflect all the way down. The company is always going to reflect the leader. When you have a leader at the top who can't model something different, who models insecurity, who models, um, let's put everything under the table, who models I can't confront anything, you're going to have that acted out in your business. It's, it, it's just what's going to happen unless you have enough managers who are different. And if you have a leader who's hiring, he's going to tend to hire other weak managers. Yes. You know, and so that's going to permeate the whole thing. So what you're looking for is how to coach the leader of the company into, into stronger ways of doing things and more enlightened. Like what's his personality? If he's afraid of confrontation, if he's afraid of aggression, how do you train him in what I call a ketoing the energy into a different method of leadership? Patrick Lencioni, he's an organizational development guy, and his work is fabulous because he's really training men to trust and to um, to work much more from their female than their male. I like that. Yes, and that's what's got to happen. And we need people like you. We need people like Patrick. My husband works in business um, to go in and really help men to find a different way of leading that comes from comes from a more emotionally intelligent side is how I like to language it. Thank you. I like that. Yeah. Let's take it one level higher. Can you talk to the insecurity of the C-level? Yes. One of the things I've noticed in having a lot of CEOs come in is the loneliness of that position. It's a hard time to be a CEO. You're in flux and it depends on the culture you've inherited and it depends on how, if you're a CEO with a board, it depends on how much the board is going to pressure you to conform to a particular style of management. And if you're a strong enough personality to confront the board and how to negotiate with the board to allow you to, for example, I one CEO and he's brilliant at giving, at, at confronting the board and getting them on his side to promote more women into positions of executive power. And he puts people on their edge. He confronts both the women and the men. And most importantly, he confronts himself. When he and I talk, it's about things that he cannot, he has no one else to talk to about. You know, that's the loneliness, you know, and the strength he has to, to do, where he's vulnerable, what he wants to talk about, that he can't talk to anyone else in the company. I don't know how many people are addressing that, but I think it's a big issue. Um, and how to deal with the different things that come up dynamically with his team, with someone who's trained to help him translate that into behaviors that he can go back then and work with. It's like this kind of what I call EQ, emotional intelligence. Yes. And I think masculine and feminine just brings up people's kind of defensiveness. But if we change it to, you know, you have an emotional intelligence as well. And that is huge. And it's, it's just as much a skill 
being really skillful in our emotional intelligence takes as much time as um, being really skilled in our uh, executive functioning. Let's talk about those derailers and about that inner game. What is the one piece of advice that would have changed your life early on and maybe even saved you from some hardship? I think it was what really helped me was men. I had a lot of men who believed in me all the way from the get-go. I, you know, I think because as a student, I was so enthusiastic. So I would have, when I first went to college, for example, my first class in my major, I was really so happy to be there. And I was, you know, I was just talking and engaging. And he called me in after class, Dr. Josephs, and he said, who's your advisor? And I told him, he said, switch to me. I will guide your career. And he did, you know, and so I had a lot. And so it's not so much what happened for me is I had men who believed in me and told me that and said, keep going. And that's what I would say to women is also find male mentors, find female mentors, which is more important right now, who tell you to keep going, that you've got something to offer and believe in yourself. Let's think a little bit into the future. 20 years from now, when people mention your name, what do you want to be known for? And what I'd like to be remembered for is really helping people access the inner game and, and to be a more complete person. It's like the congruency between the inner game and the outer game, the congruency between the below conscious mind and the conscious mind. When we have that congruency, when we have emotional intelligence as well as, well as executive functioning intelligence, we are going to be able to move things consciously in a much more healthy direction. If we keep derailing ourselves because we split between what it is we want and what we don't think we can have or what we've been told we can have or not uh, what the unconscious is afraid of if we're too derailed then we just everything slows down and things take so much longer and consciousness does not evolve in a direction we want it to evolve in very quickly and we're kind of running as a species i think you're right right on top of that with me we're running out of time a little bit here i think it needs a generational shift I think it's not that fast. It's probably our children who need to grow up in a different mindset, in a different environment that allows them to implement the things that we are already thinking about. Thinking about the next generation, millennials and beyond, what would be your advice for them? I love the millennials. I think they are, they are such a product of all that we have Uh, achieved so far, the millennials I know, they are a fabulous generation. And I think what they're going to do, what I would ask them to do is question, question, you know, don't necessarily accept things as, uh, as how they have to be Question, and check into what you know is your truth and what you're passionate about. There is so much, they, uh, they have access to so much more information than certainly I did growing up. The internet is a fabulous tool and anything they want to learn is on YouTube. right now. So they have so many resources, you know, look at, make use of the resources, make use of each other. And the, the women and the men of the millennial generation are much more equally minded. They have a lot of friendships together, use those friendships. And they, together, they're going to create the next generation of leadership that I think is going to be so much more successful 
than we have had so far. Wonderful, Debbie. Thank you so much for that fascinating voyage into counseling, psychology, and the conversation under the conversation. I like that one. How can people find you if they're interested in your work? Womenisgamechangers.com. So great to have you on our show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the energy paradigm, please visit our website, theenergyparadigm.com. Like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, watch us on YouTube. It's time to change the paradigm. You can do your share by spreading the word and by shining your light. Have an energized day.